This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 10, Episode 12. This is Writing Excuses, story structure Q&A with Wesley Chu. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Howard. I'm Mary. I'm Dan. And we have our friend Wesley Chu back on the podcast. Hello. How's everybody doing? We're doing all right. Thanks for coming back. Excellent. Thanks for having me. All right. We are doing a Q&A. We have solicited questions from you guys to um, ask us about story structure. And I'm just going to go through these and see what uh, the podcasters come up with as answers. Do you make a conscious decision about how to structure your story before you start writing? Yep. By Sonia Lal. <laughs> yes. yes. Sonia, I do. Yeah. Uh, I do, although sometimes I will say that, uh, particularly in short fiction, uh, where I do sometimes less planning with long, that sometimes I will get into the story and realize that the central conflict that I'm interested in is different than what I thought it would be, and then I will go back and change the structure of the beginning. I'm a planner, so a structure ahead of time is important to me mm -hmm. to know about. Um, there are stories that I've just kind of written myself into it, and those I don't always, so um, I don't plan it out. I just write and see what happens. But that's an exercise that I'm trying yeah. to do. I like to kind of do a hybrid thing where I, I pants it out for a little bit, kind of, you know, get the feel for the setting and the characters. And then after I get maybe like three or four chapters in, I go, all right. Now I kind of know these people, but I don't know where they're going. And then I go back and I re-outline re the whole thing. See, I do the opposite of that. I will figure it all out pretty extensively first, and then throw away the outline and make it up as I go. Excellent. All right. Yeah. This is a good question from uh, Chris Dunbar that fits in with that. He asks, in the past, Ryan Excuses has touched on many story structures, mice, seven-point Hollywood formula, etc. We talked about a bunch of these um, in, in, in podcasts coming up and in podcasts we've done before, so it's a good question. Do you think it would be helpful to try to fit your story into as many of these structures as possible, or is it best sticking with one? Well, they are not mutually exclusive, uh, not by a long shot. So... I would say a lot of times these structures are more useful for diagnosing where a story has gone wrong mm -hmm. sometimes than they are for for planning, particularly right. when you're in the early stages. I'm a big fan of picking one technique and learning how that technique works and then picking a different technique and learning how that technique works. So I think it depends on where you are in your, your career I path. I love, love story structure systems and I love to play with them but they're tools, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you would not say this object that I built is better than the other one because this one I used a hammer and a wrench, you know, whatever tools you need for the job. Especially if the object is a pie. <laughs> <coughs> exactly. I use a hammer on my pies all the time. I, when, you know, when Mary said diagnosis, usually I'm using, uh, uh, formula to diagnose problems with my outline. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I rarely get all the way into a story and then realize that, uh, oh, I need to apply Hollywood formula to figure out why this is broken. WM Henry Morris asks, do you use any tools to help you view the structure of a story slash novel? And if so, what are they and how do they help? I use, um, it's very simple, I use Microsoft Word and I use the document map 
uh, function, which allows me to create a, an outline on the fly. And I create these little cells, so to speak, of goals and what I need to achieve them. So, you know, target goal is these two characters fall in love. Um, and then underneath, bullet points of the steps along the way that's going to make that work, um, make that relationship. Or this person use, learns to become really good at the magic. S bullet points. And that helps me view structure because it lets me break down every little subplot mm -hmm. as its own system together, um, kind of viewing them all together. It, that's what works for me. I do that same thing, but pen and paper. Mm. I do very similar, but with Scrivener. I use Scrivener, and I can't write without it. Um, it has this corkboard functionality where you kind of create little, little post-it notes, and then mm -hmm. you can write a little summary on it, and then you can label it, and then you can color coordinate it. And that's kind of how I divide all, you know, I check my flow is I go action, development, plot, mm. which point of view, and I color, you know, my, the, the, the pink is my, is my female point of view, and the blue is my man, and, and red's my villain, and I kind of look at it from a very high up bird's eye view, and then it kind of helps me figure out, you know, when I'm slowing down too much, or when I have too much mindless action, and so on, so too on. much mindless action. No, <laughs> 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 oh, I type. Yeah, I I also use um, Aeon Timeline, uh, A E O N, uh, um, mm. which is something I've only recently started using, but it's very useful for me. Um, I will plot out when, you know, which date, what time things are happening. Um, and then mark them as on-stage action or off-stage action. I just bought that, and I'm very intimidated by it. Yeah, it t the learning curve is it, it's fairly intense, but it's great. Um, and if you're using Mac, it can sync with your Scrivener. Unfortunately, with PC, that is not yet the case. What do you guys think about cliffhangers? Like them? Hate them? Diabolically evil? How can an author use them more effectively? This is from Jesse. Well, it depends on what you're using them for. If you're throwing in a cliffhanger for the sole purpose of forcing someone to buy your next book, then that's kind of a dirty trick. Whereas if you're using the cliffhanger because you want to surprise or because you want to create some mystery, um, you know, and people buy your next book because they're excited to find the answer rather than mad at you, you haven't given it to them yet, right. then you've done it right. Well, internally, yeah. you know, if you use the cliffhanger at the end of a chapter so that people are forced to wade through the POV character that you know they don't like, uh, you might have a problem that's right. unrelated to the cliffhanger. Yeah, or uh, you know, using a cliffhanger at the end of a chapter to get them to turn the page to the next chapter. One of the things with the cliffhanger is that the payoff has to be good. Yes. Like, you cannot threaten to knock someone off a cliff and then it turns out that it's just a slight dip in the ground. That's, uh, your reader will feel, feel cheated. I really like cliffhangers, um, and, and I mean, I think the way I use cliffhangers isn't so much to, you know, get them to go to the next chapter or to make them buy the next book, but to actually change the, the rules in the game. Hmm. So most of the, of the cliffhangers I use actually, you know, from book to book, makes a very big fundamental change that allows me to tell the story with a different set of rules. See, you're yeah. doing cliffhangers the way I like them. I like cliffhangers that, um, the, the metaphor I use is a lot of 
books will be like, and you open the door and, and then stop. That's an annoying cliffhanger. I want your cliffhanger to be, he opens the door and then you tell me something he sees on the other side of the door that changes everything I understood (laughs) about what was coming. And then I want to read more. You've got to make your your answers as cool as your questions. Um, And that's the problem with a lot of cliffhangers is they aren't. They are the, I'm going to give you something awesome next, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. And then you get to it and it's not awesome. Instead is, here's the awesome. Yes. Now you want to know what's going on. Now what's the ramifications of this awesome thing happening? Um, How do you come up with plot twists for your stories? We actually did a podcast on plot twists. Um, I think maybe we should just reference that one and say, go read about, uh, listen to plot twists on that one. Cool. Um, My short stories, by the way, that one was from Samuel Rolls, and this one's from Nathan. um, I'm not going to try and say your last name, Nathan. I'm sorry. My short stories all seem to take a form of a bell curve, open rising action climax, denouement. What are some other forms or techniques I can use to bring variety without increasing my word count? The thing about this one is, I want to tell you, that's the structure of a story (laughs) um, that you just described there. Um, uh, Open, rising action, climax, denouement. Um, I don't know that you want... What you're asking is, are there other tools, perhaps, that you can use? Well, I I will say, uh, actually, that while that is the structure of a novel, that is not always necessarily the structure of a short story. I'm going to stop you right here, because one person asks, Rechan asks, is there a difference between short stories and novel structure? Oh, dear. Yes. So there's, there's, uh, this is, and we, we've got one where I talk about a podcast where we talk about short story at, at length. But, but s- since I can answer both of these at the same time, the denouement in in novels is because you've been immersed in the world for a long time, and the readers want to ease out of it. They want to, they want a little bit of time with the characters where they're warm and cozy, essentially. But in short fiction, the metaphor that I use is that it's like watching the Olympics. And it's the difference between watching the YouTube clip of the trick on the gymnastics versus watching the Olympics on the BBC. And a novel is watching the Olympics on the BBC. You want to see the backstory about the character, you know, the, the gymnast. You want to watch her go out and warm up in the years of practice. She goes out, she practices, she does the trick. You see her stick the landing. You watch her walk off the mat and meet with her coach and get her scores and the reaction to the scores and the analysis. You go to the YouTube clip. It starts right before she does the trick. She does the trick. She sticks the landing and it cuts. And that is all you need. Um, So that's one of the big things is where you are choosing to do that. Um, in, In other ways, they're actually very similar that you do have you know, the beginning, middle, and end in theory, but you're much more likely to start, uh, frequently you are starting uh, much more in media res in short fiction, again, because Mm -hmm. you are trying to get right at the beginning. The the short fiction, I don't want to say it's all about the trick, because the trick is... Right, it's saying the Olympics are all about the trick. No, yes, they are, but it's an awesome trick, and it's, it's why you tuned in. Yes. So, but that is that's that's structurally for me that is that is one of the key differences. And one and of the ch- oh, sorry, one of the challenges to answering this question mm-hmm. is that the formula he's describing mm-hmm. is it, it, it a little bit. You know, my stories are all part one, part two, part three, 
what other formulas are. Anything can be carved up into three parts. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of word mincing may go on as to what actually constitutes a full denouement. Yeah. Um, well, and, and then the other thing <clears throat> to get to the are there other story structure questions and, and our idea that this is a story um, is that this is a very Western European idea of a story structure. There are other story structures. Uh, for instance, and I'm, I'm going to describe this badly, but in Japan, a lot of times what you'll see when you're looking at some of the fiction is, you know, there's an old man and he goes to the bus stop and then there's a young woman and and then she's making tea later and then the story stops and you're like, what was... <laughs> but And so we're looking for for a plot, but what that story is about is about the interconnectedness of small details and the way these reflect and... and and so it is a very different story structure. I couldn't write one of those because I don't know the mechanics of it. But but understand that you can go and explore different story structures. One author that I'd encourage you to look at is Nettie Okorafor, uh, because she is writing. Uh, she's her her family is from Nigeria, and she's writing fantastic science fiction and fantasy. But she is not writing it from a Western European story structure. And that's actually a really good point to make because a good three or four of these questions are people saying either, my story doesn't fit to a traditional structure, what do I do? Or how can I find other structures to try using? How can I keep my stories from becoming predictable? It seems like I'm using the same structure again and again. There's a good answer. Mm -hmm. You read some things from other genres, um, read from other cultures. Um, and see if those present to you something new. Yeah, and then you can also sit down and reverse engineer an outline from that to see what, how that structure works. Let's stop for our book of the week. Uh, this week we are going to do The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks by Rebecca Skloot. Um, the narrator is Cassandra Campbell. This is a book that I read that I think has a fascinating structure. Now, this is a nonfiction piece. What it does is it talks about Henrietta Lacks, who was um, a poor black woman, who couldn't afford health care and had to travel to a hospital that would take blacks. This is during the early part of the 20th century. And without her knowledge or her family's knowledge, some of her cells, cancer cells, were harvested. She eventually succumbed and died to this cancer, but those cells were the first cells that scientists were able to make its culture from that lived for a substantial time outside the body. In fact, they're still alive. Those very cells are the very first. It's called the HeLa cell cycle, and they are used in all kinds of research. And this one woman has become the means by which tons of different cures and things have been developed. Um, the cool thing about the structure of this book is it's half biography. It talks about her. It talks about the, um, the author and trying to get her story by talking to her children. It talks about the biography of her children and what they went through growing up um, it's interviews with them talking about how they didn't even know and how they were, you know, with, without the education, they were told, yeah, we're using your, your, your mom's cells. And like, my mom's still alive in a lab somewhere? They're using her, they're using her, they're testing her for these things? And they, they legitimately thought this um, for years. And just fascinating look into the lives of what it's like to live, what it, what it was like to live during that time as um, an African-American. And then looking every other chapter is about the science behind it so it's great it's really cool um and, and interesting from a structure standpoint and interesting just from a, a life story standpoint so you can get a copy of this read to you by cassandra campbell the 
Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks by Rebecca Sklute. You can find it um, on Audible by going to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Get a 30-day free trial and support the podcast and listen to a great book. Sounds fantastic. Yeah, it is really good. Yeah. How is that possible that cells are still alive after all these years? It's a cell culture, so they... Um, constantly dividing. They're, they're constantly yep. dividing, okay. but beyond that, cancer cells don't have uh, don't age the same way. One of the reasons that we age is our cells... Um, have a certain number of times they'll divide before they just won't divide anymore. So every other culture they took died off. We could so talk about this for the rest of the podcast, (laughs) but we have other questions. We do, we do. And some of these are really good. One person asks, and I'll get the name in a second, but is there a specific amount of time you should do for your introduction? How do you know how long to take before your inciting incident in your story? This is really good because we're going to be talking about beginnings coming up. So I wanted to get this to the podcasters. There is no hard and fast rule for this. But this don't write a prologue. Ah, yeah. You can write prologue, my <laughs> and if they're good, then they're good. Um, you know, I've seen inciting incidents that happen in the first paragraph. I've seen mm. them that happen in the fifth chapter. I don't know if there's a good rule of thumb for... Well, uh, uh, even when they're happening, and, I mean, it depends on how we are defining... <coughs> Inciting incident? I, yes. I'm going to make up a rule. The inciting incident can happen when the introduction has told us enough to know why the inciting incident is significant. Hmm. Okay. That's very well put. Yeah. Um, you need to know who the character is. You need to know their current life situation so that when the incident kicks them out of that situation, it matters. Yeah. That was I, by Elizabeth, the question was, by the way. Oh. Good question. Um, uh, Hillary asks, how do you deal when you get uh, a good way through your story and realize the structure isn't working? Oh, oh that's you, painful. You with that yeah, what do you do? She says, do you, is it better to push through and finish the thing, then fix it in edits, or go back to the start oh. and start over with the new structure? Well, the first thing that you do, or at least the first thing that I do, is I pour myself a glass of scotch. Mm. <laughs> really? Because I set my head on fire. Yeah, there's huh. that. Uh, I eat a lot how do you of do that cream. without hair? I have stopped actually having the problem. Oh, <laughs> um, You sounded like you had something to <laughs> useful instead of my, oh, God, that's just painful. I, I eat a lot of ice cream for a night. Yeah. And then I start fixing it right away because the, the longer you allow yourself to go down the wrong path, that's just the more you got to fix. Yeah. I, I will say that actually I'm having, uh, I had this problem in the, the novel I'm working on right now. Um, and so I made... Oh, and actually I had this also in, in Of Noble Family. Um, and what I did was I made notes to myself about the changes that I was going to correct and wrote forward from that point as if I had already made those changes. Uh, and yeah. then went back... And were these I structural changes? So in Of Noble Family, I had a subplot that I realized I didn't need at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I had three characters that I realized I was going to need to cut. Wow. Um, and so they were they were structural changes. And in uh, Ghost Talkers, the one that I'm working on now, um, I have realized that I need another point of view. And so I am writing as if that point of view is going to be there, but I'm going to when I finish it, I'm going to have to go back and insert five chapters. And I know it, and I've already marked in my, my manuscript where I'm going to do mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah, that's closer to the way I handle it, which is I don't want to start from scratch right now. 
I'm just going to do the best I can with what I have, and that's what revision is for. Yeah. There are a ton of great questions on here. Um, we don't have time to get to any more of them, though I will say that the majority of them are asking things like we've gotten to already. How do I choose which structure to use? What do I do with this structure? you got to remember this is a tool, something to try with various stories of yours. All of these structures are tools. See if it helps you. If it's not helping you, then it's something to put aside and try something else. That's the big thing you've got to keep in mind is none of these are hard, fast, you know, magic wands that will write your book for you. They're just tools to help you organize your thoughts. And if I can say just one other thing about the, the idea of these being tools that we're offering you, uh, don't expect to know how to use the tool beautifully and well the first time you pick it up. So just because it's hard doesn't mean that it's not working for you. It's right. just new. Now, we're going to give you some homework as we transition out of story structure and start talking about beginnings, which we'll be doing the next few episodes on. And Dan has an exercise for you. Honestly, we're recording this months after the last time we recorded, so I'm not sure if I gave you homework last time or not. We couldn't go in and look. So if we did, do that one also. If we didn't, here is your homework for next week. You get double homework if you're lucky. Okay, so what you're going to do, at this point we hope that in the process of your storytelling, you know what kind of story you want to tell. So you're going to get a piece of paper or a laptop or whatever and make a list of all the awesome things you want that story to accomplish. Whether they are fight scenes or love scenes, you set want pieces. something to be heroic. Yeah, a big cool set piece in Gondola a really chase. interesting place. Uh, you want to make somebody really sad. You want to have a stand up and cheer moment. Uh, you know, Whatever it is. You're going to write all those down in a big list and then you're going to put them in order what order they're going to happen. And that is kind of a proto-outline. And then next month we'll talk more about what do you do with that and how do you start at the beginning and turn it into a story. Excellent. Wesley, thank you for being on the podcast with us. Thanks for having me, guys. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.